Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible, a TV show that answers Bible questions. Uh, we're a little different than a lot of religious TV programs. Uh, many of them tell you what they think you need to know or ought to know. Uh, we let you tell us what you'd like to know. So that's what we do here, and you'll see a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime, and that's how you decide what we talk about on Know Your Bible. Uh, call in or log on to your get give us your question. Uh, we get a lot of detailed questions about a Bible verse or a Bible doctrine, and we get a lot of lot of questions from people's lives that uh, the Bible says something about. And we'll try to find that answer for you in the Bible. So let us help you know your Bible, and by asking questions, you help us know our Bible a little better. We get questions every week that we haven't heard before. Uh, helps us study the Bible. So give us a call or log on, and we'll get started answering your questions. I'm Steve Tandy, and I've got two uh, qualified gentlemen over here, Toby Levering. Hi, Steve. Jeff Martin. Hi, Jeff. Morning. Glad you guys are both here, uh, ready to go. Got some answers for some good questions, but our viewers always get the first crack at a question. Uh, Ephesus had all kinds of gods and goddesses. They had one main goddess, and uh, we want the name of that goddess, and we'll give it to you at the end of the program. Paul got in a little trouble over her, so we'll uh, see if you know that little bit of Bible trivia. Looks like Jeff gets to start us out here. Yes, I got a viewer wants, that wants to know, why did the apostles have unleavened bread at the Last Supper? Uh, so the Last Supper was the last meal before uh, the betrayal and, and the crucifixion of Christ. Um, but what's interesting is it was more than a Last Supper to, to those that were participating. Jesus and, and his disciples were observing uh, a tradition of Passover. Uh, and this is a tradition from generations before uh, that marked and celebrated the freedom of God's people from Egyptian slavery. So that's what they were doing. Uh, Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew what was going to happen after this supper. Uh, the disciples did it, and they were sharing in that tradition with Jesus. Uh, and there were a lot of rules uh, they had to follow to, to meet the standards of this tradition. Um, and one of those rules was eating unleavened bread. We can find that in Deuteronomy 16.3. So let's look at that together. It says, Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Uh, so those of us who, who take the Lord's Supper now, who take communion, we still use unleavened bread as Jesus commanded of his disciples. Uh, the difference is we remember uh, Christ. We remember our freedom from the slavery of sin. 
uh, and, and just as Christ commanded, we still use unleavened bread. But that is why they used unleavened bread at the Last Supper. All right. Jared asks a little bit of a tricky question here. What verses in the Bible tell a wife's duties, what, what a wife's duties are to her husband? Um, all right. Uh, I could give you a few verses that do say something about the wife uh, submitting to her husband, respecting her husband and all that. Uh, But I feel like I ought to point out there's not a section in the Bible where it just says, wives, here's all the things you're supposed to do. Uh, The few verses that mention a wife's duties, if you want to use that term, are mixed in with husband's duties, if you want to use that term. Uh, In fact, the longest description of that is in Ephesians 5, and there's a whole lot more in there for the husband than there is for the wife. Uh, In fact, Paul starts that section in Ephesians 5. Uh, He says, Christians ought to all submit to each other. Uh, Submit, submitting means uh, counting somebody else better than yourself and doing what they want and what's good for them. Uh, So he starts off with that, Christians ought to all submit to each other. And then he covers marriages, then he covers parents and children, he covers work relationships, he covers all our Christian relationships. But in the husband-wife part, uh, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And husbands, love your wives. And then he goes into much more detail about how husbands are supposed to love their wives. And he says, you're supposed to love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And then he says, husbands are supposed to love their wives like their own bodies. Uh, So he really stresses the husband's duties more than he does the wives. Uh, Probably the summary verse is Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33, where he kind of boils it down to two things. He says, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect the husband. Uh, So if you understand those two terms, in fact, there's a pretty good marriage book out called Love and Respect, uh, which goes into much more detail on what that means. And if you want a list of uh, husbandly duties and wifely duties, uh, Love and Respect is not a bad book to read. But Ephesians 5... That's what Paul says, is husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands. Now, as far as calling them duties, that's, uh, that's where we're getting a little bit of trouble. There's no list of, you got to do this, you got to do this. Uh, if you love someone, you respect them, you submit to them, uh, then it's not a duty anymore. It's a, it's a pleasure to uh, serve them and submit to them and do all that, but that's that's a whole other question. So, yeah, Paul does talk about wives and husbands. Ephesians 5 is a good chapter to, to read about that. Okay, good good answer. You know, question about, uh, was God surprised? Uh, this is a, a question that's kind of interesting. If God knows everything, why didn't he know Adam and Eve would eat of the fruit? Okay, well, uh, first of all, God does know everything. The theological term that we give for that is omniscience. He's all-knowing. He's, he's the knower of all truth, and he is the uh, essence of truth. So it's, be, it's impossible for God to not know everything. 
it's impossible for us to even wrap our minds around that because for us, learning is an ongoing process. We're finite. So if that's the nature of God, and it is, Psalm 145, I'm sorry, 147, verse 5, the psalmist says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. And that's true. All right, so then the second part of your question is why didn't he know Adam and Eve would eat of the fruit? Well, I, I don't agree with that part of the question. I think he did know. I think he knew it was coming all along. Uh, the human example that I'll give is parents, new parents, uh, want their children, especially their first child and all the children, to, to obey. The parents have a certain will about when they go to bed and how, how many snacks they can have and uh, how they uh, listen to their parents and how they res- respond to instruction and how they do their chores. They have a certain will of those things. Now, as a parent thinks about the things that they want from their child, do they know that at some point that child will disobey? If they're reasonable people, they probably do. Now, they still desire for them to be obedient, but they know at some point uh, they will probably mess up, either uh, unknowingly or willfully, uh, they will defy the will of the parents. Now, we understand that on a human level. Well, God, being all-knowing, his understanding being uh, beyond measure, certainly understood that when he made Adam and Eve, he made them perfectly. And he had a perfect world for them and a perfect will for them, and he wanted them to obey that. But here's the thing. God gave them free will. And they had to choose the will of the Father. They had to choose the will of their Creator uh, to obey that, just as we have to choose that. Did he know they would disobey? He sure did. Uh, This was not a surprise to him. In fact, when he's uh, laying out the punishments to uh, Eve and to Adam and to the serpent, uh, he... He mentions in there, he says, uh, he talks about this, the seed of woman between your offspring and hers. He shall bruise your head and and you shall bruise his heel. Well, this is a a foreshadowing, a prophecy uh, concerning Christ. Uh, So he had already made a plan for how he was going to redeem mankind from their defiance. And not just this one defiance, not this this one act of sin, but for all acts of sin. So God certainly knew, and he not only knew, but he had a plan. So, uh, no, God did know. He was not surprised uh, when they sinned and when they defied his will. And even better, he had a plan for how he was going to uh, rectify that problem. And again, it comes down to us whether we're going to choose to follow that plan or not. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. The writer says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God knows, knew their sin, he knows our sin, and he knows uh, the plan, the redemption from that is through Christ Jesus. Hope that helps you. All right. We're glad you're studying the Bible with us here today for a little bit, and we know a lot of you study the Bible a whole lot more than just 30 minutes here on this program. Uh, We've got some old-time Bible students and some very serious Bible students that watch this program that spend a lot of time in their Bible and uh, learning God's Word, and we appreciate that. 
but we also know we've got a lot of viewers that are maybe pretty new to the Bible, uh, maybe just starting to have a little interest in it, and maybe have been thinking, I, I probably ought to read the Bible sometime. I ought to study it a little bit. And some people can just grab the Bible and sit down and start reading and do real well at that. And for others, it's hard to form a regular habit of Bible study. So just sitting down and going from Genesis to Revelation is a way to study the Bible, not necessarily the best way for everybody. Uh, we've come up with some tools that we think are pretty helpful for getting started in Bible study. And if you're interested in that, we'd like to help you. Uh, here, there's eight lessons in this introductory course that we start people off with. Uh, just a real basic overview of the Bible. Then we've got some other courses that uh, lead you through more detailed studies and take a few more lessons than eight. Uh, you can study the Bible for quite a while with our study tools, and uh, thousands of people have taken us up on that over the years and uh, let us know that they've enjoyed it and they've learned a lot about the Bible. If you'd like an online course, we've got those too. Uh, just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org. They'll uh, get you signed up, and you can begin studying the Bible anytime, anywhere with your own uh, PC or tablet or phone and uh, learn a lot about the Bible that way. So use the phone number website or log on to that uh, website and get, get started in Bible study. Uh, you, you get uh, better at it and you hopefully will form a regular habit of Bible study. So help us, let us help you know your Bible a little bit. All right, Jeff, TV preachers. Yes, got one about TV preachers, yeah. Other, and I like this first word, other TV preachers say if we give, we will be blessed with more money. Is that in the Bible? Um, we could change up the program on Know Your Bible. We could charge for things, and we could make you feel guilty, and we could tell you that if you give money to us that you'll have more money. Uh, but there are multiple reasons that we don't do that. Uh, but oftentimes you're flipping the channels and you come across a TV preacher or you're, you're uh, surfing the Internet and you come on a TV preacher and they use certain verses uh, to show you that if you send them money, you will be blessed. And the focus is all wrong there. But let's look at one of these verses that they sometimes use. Uh, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Uh, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And there's, there's wisdom in that, just like there is in all the Proverbs. Um, but there are many TV preachers who will shout this uh, at you from their TV and ask you to give everything that you have to their ministry. Uh, and you should be very careful when this happens. Uh, many times those same preachers, when you examine them, you can see the designer clothing, fancy cars, and in one case I'm, I'm thinking about even a private jet. Um, so a couple things to remember when you're examining a ministry and when you're thinking about giving. Uh, first of all, uh, based on Proverbs, we are not supposed to honor any man with our first fruits or wealth. We are to honor God. Uh, and we need to make sure that that's what we're doing. And, and the best way to do that is to examine the fruits of a ministry. What does that ministry truly look like? Does it serve God or does it serve men? Is it focused on God or is it focused on you and your wealth and that ministry and its wealth? Um, 
So another good question to ask is this preacher, whoever it is, doing the same thing with their wealth that he or she is asking me to do? Uh, and at any rate, when we find a ministry that seems to be centered on using God to produce earthly wealth for us, we should be very careful. Uh, in fact, I would go so far as to say we should turn from that ministry and run in the opposite direction. Uh, we're supposed to be focused on God. If we use our first fruits, if we use our wealth to honor God, um, then, then there will be blessings that come from that. But we need to be very careful in our motivation that we're, we're not trying to just get a huge return on that investment. All right, good answer. Uh, interesting asking for money. Uh, it's kind of, just kind of normal to us. We never ask for money mm -hmm. the way this program started long ago. Uh, but I'm reminded every once in a while how odd that is. I'll find somebody out in public and they'll talk to me about watching the program. And one thing they almost always say is, and you never ask for money. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that, that's odd to people in the world that as a religious TV program, it doesn't beg for money all the time. So yeah. pretty much the standard. But... Uh, and there are some that have good ministries that they solicit contributions for and, yes. and and all that. But when they get into what you were talking about, the health and wealth gospel, that uh, you give me enough, God will God will bless you. Yeah. So you got it backwards there a little bit. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Got a question about communion. We talked a little bit about that last week, but this viewer's got a little different take. He says, does the Bible say who can or cannot receive communion? Uh, no, the Bible does not have any qualifications. It doesn't have any uh, yeas or nays and who's in or who's out or, or any of that. Uh and I think that's because the Bible just assumes that anybody wanting to take communion uh, probably understands what it's about. Uh, they understand that it represents uh, the body and blood of Christ and that they're Christians and they're following him. And he said to do this in remembrance of me and that they understand all of that. Uh, now, I realize there are some people that might visit a church that... Uh, don't understand all of that and when communion is served they don't know uh, whether they should or shouldn't and some churches make rulings on that uh, some religions have what we call closed communion uh, they say only members in good standing can take communion uh, other churches don't get into that kind of legislation and have what we call open communion uh, if you're there and want to take communion, okay, it's up to you to decide whether you should or shouldn't. Uh, but in general, the Bible just treats it as, well, Christians take communion, and why would anybody else want to take communion? Uh, there is one kind of qualification, if you want to call it that, about who should take communion, and it's not whether you should or shouldn't, but it's the purpose of it. So let's look at that verse it's in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, and Paul, when he's talking about this, uh, he says, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread or drinks of the cup. Uh, he says, you need to think about your life. And actually, that's in a lengthy passage where he was uh, criticizing the Corinthian church. 
uh, for not being serious enough about the Lord's Supper. Uh, they treated very flippantly. They uh, weren't paying attention to it. They weren't remembering the Lord's body and all of that. And he says, that's, that's serious business. You need to be thinking about it. You need to be examining yourself. Uh, but no, the Bible does not have a list of here's who can take communion and here's who can't. So up to us to examine ourselves. All right, we have a geography question. It is, uh, what and where is Zion? Well, uh, Zion is the city of Jerusalem, and it's often called Zion or called uh, the city of David. Um, and that is first found in Second Samuel, the, uh, where that began was in Second Samuel chapter 5. King David has been installed as king, conquers the city of Jerusalem, and uh, in in uh, verse 7, which I believe is on the screen, it says, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And then verse 9 goes on to say that he lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David, and he built the city all around from the millow inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And so this is the uh, period of the United Kingdom and uh, Israel is really being formed as a nation and uh, Jerusalem was uh, where uh, D David uh, reigned and uh, that term, the city of David, is used about 45 times in the Old Testament and then twice in the New Testament. Although David was born in Bethlehem, he reigned from uh, Jerusalem. The term Zion not, included was referring to Jerusalem, but later kind of expanded to just include the general, uh, the land of Judah and the nation of Israel itself. Uh, interestingly, in the New Testament, uh, we get a not a physical kingdom, um, a physical city, uh, but it's expanded to include the spiritual kingdom, which is the church. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, speaking of this kingdom that cannot be shaken, uh, he he writes in verse. 22 of Hebrews 12. This is not on screen, but you can follow along at home or look this up in your own personal study. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, he's referring there to the church and this uh, spiritual kingdom that we live in now. So, uh, if you want to know where it is, just find a good Bible map and look at the city of Jerusalem. That's where it was. Today, the term Zion is a spiritual term referring to the kingdom of God's people in Christ Jesus. So, hope that helps. Right. Let me invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. The Churches of Christ keep this program on the air, and we like to thank some of them each week. Uh, today, let me mention a couple in central Kansas, the Eastwood Church of Christ. Excuse me, in Hutchinson, Kansas, and St. John, Kansas, has a group of Christians meeting together as the Church of Christ there. They would warmly welcome you, and if you're interested in uh, finding a church that thinks and studies about the Bible a lot like we do, excuse me, visit the Church of Christ near you. All right, I better quit and let Jeff answer a question here. We get this one ever so often. We got one about reincarnation. Is the Bible for or against reincarnation? And, of course, most of us know reincarnation is, is a, a belief of Eastern religions, namely Hindus and Buddhists, uh, that we will come back 
after we die based on how we lived our life. If we lived a good life, uh, then we're going to come back uh, in, a, in a good way. If we lived a, a, a bad life, we're going to come back in a bad way. Um, and if you believe in reincarnation, uh, you become motivated to act well for your rebirth. Uh, on earth, your earthly rebirth. And the, the Bible says something very different. Let's look at Hebrews 9, verse 27. Uh, it says, It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Uh, so we can, it, we can get a very false view of our eternity if we start believing that we have multiple lives or multiple chances here on earth. We only have one chance. Uh, and that's what makes it very important who we follow or whether or not we are in Christ. Because once we die, after this one life, we face judgment. Uh, and so this life carries with it a lot of weight. There will not be one after this. Um, so no. Uh, in, in the, the case of the viewer's question, the Bible is very obviously against reincarnation. All right. The viewer is wanting to know where a story is. The story of the sheet from heaven filled with animals. Uh, <clears throat> and it's not really a story, it's an account. It actually happened. A story sometimes sounds like it's a fable or something made up. Uh, the account of the sheet with animals is in Acts chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 9 and going through verse 16. And it's a very important passage uh, because it's about the conversion of the first Gentile. Now, when the church started, all the Christians were Jewish, uh, and they weren't sure about whether the gospel was for Gentiles or not. And uh, they'd just been raised that way, and God had to explain to them that, yes, it was for Gentiles also. And so this story is about a Gentile named Cornelius, who was a God-fearer and prayed to God and uh, gave to the poor and did a lot of good things. And uh, God sent an angel to tell him, you go get uh, Peter and uh, have Peter tell you about the gospel. Now, that's a good plan, except Peter had a problem with that. Uh, Peter didn't know if he should go visit a Gentile or not. And so that's where this story comes in. God gave him a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven. Uh, Peter was hungry, and the sheet was filled with all kinds of animals. <clears throat> both clean and unclean, and God said, "Arise, kill and eat." And Peter said, "No, you know, I'm not. I'm not eating anything unclean." And God said, "I said, kill and eat." And Peter said, "No, I, I'm not going to eat anything unclean. I never have." And God said, "I said it's clean." Uh, so He was telling him in kind of a, a metaphor that Cornelius is clean. Uh, he's all right. And so Peter went to Cornelius, he figured out the, what the vision meant, he preached the gospel to uh, Cornelius and baptized him into Christ, and then went back and had to explain all that to the other Jews in Jerusalem about why he had done this. And when he told the story, they agreed that, okay, Gentiles can be Christians. It's a great story, but it's Acts chapter 10 is where you can read about that. Let me make sure we get our trivia question answered today, and it is about the main goddess of Ephesus. And they had lots of gods and goddesses, but the one that got uh, Paul in trouble was uh, Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians. And uh, they sold silver statues of Diana and 
Paul's preaching kind of messed up the silversmith works, so he got in a little union battle there with the the, <laughs> the silversmiths. Good story. Uh, we're glad you've been with us today, and hope that you come back next week. We're going to get to more of your questions. We hope you get, we got yours today. Uh, if not, we'll be back and cover as many as we can next week. So we're happy that you've been with us. We're going to be back next week and tackle some more questions. So see you then. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.